are listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. The title of this message is, This is Communion. We are talking about communion this morning. No double meanings in the message title. No, like, hidden thing there, right? It was due at 11.59 last night. I had to get it in quick. Kidding about that part. But, um, right, like, we're talking about communion, why it's important why we do it, and what God has for us in communion. Uh, Wherever you come from in your church background, religious background, you could call it, probably has an impact on how you view this thing we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And I grew up in a church that was pretty different from Living Word, but we did communion very similarly. Right, So a pastor would get up, they would kind of lead the congregation in communion, pray over the bread, pray over the cup. It was a very devotional moment, a moment that relied heavily on remembrance and thankfulness and kind of having that moment alone with Jesus. And it was beautiful. Um, but then one day I go to a completely different church than the one I had grown up in. It was way more traditional. I'm not going to name the denomination it was. It was for a family event. So I'm at this church. I'm about 11, 12 years old. And um, they're like, hey, we're going to take communion. But uh, communion for us is really for our members. So if you have gone through the kind of classes and the things you uh, had to do to be a member of this denomination, then we invite you to come forward to take communion. If not, we just ask that you refrain. I'm 11, like I said, 12 years old. Arrogant is all get out, right? I think I know everything. I'm all that in a bag of chips, right? I'm breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert twice a week. That's me. Like, so I get up and I'm like, no, 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 I'm taking communion. Like, I'm going to get communion. Don't cheer yet. Don't cheer yet. That's for sure. So I get up. I'm on the line for the bread, right? So you got to get on this line, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I get to the front. The minister's there. He hands me the cracker, and I'm, like, going to go have my moment with Jesus, right? Like, I'm going to go sit back down. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go take this bread. And instead, I'm met with a stiff arm, right? I'm, like, hit in the chest, right? And so he's, like, put the bread in your mouth. And it wasn't just, like, it was, like, when your mom yells at you in a quiet space, you know, and she's, like, cut it out, knock it off, put the bread. And so I'm like scared. I go back to my seat. I'm not even taking the cup at this point. I did a half communion. I did a commune, all right? So I wasn't going to risk the cup. So I go back and one of my relatives is like, hey, what happened there? And I was like, I got yelled at for not putting the cracker in my mouth. And uh, you might have had an experience like mine. I don't know what kind of church background you come from, if you come from any church background. Maybe you come from a mainline uh, Protestant background like Presbyterian or Lutheran. Very high view of tradition in those churches. Very high view of communion. They take communion very seriously. Catholic Church, same thing. Big Catholic uh, community here on Long Island. Very high view of communion. Very high view of scripture and of tradition. Right? And so they take communion every week. Sometimes if you go to a Latin mass, they'll do it daily. Right, very high view of communion. If you had a, a positive experience in one of these churches, then maybe you have a very high view of communion. Maybe you find it to be a thing uh, of reverence, something that we should take very seriously. Maybe you had a negative experience at one of these churches. If that's you, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you did, maybe you see communion as ritualistic, legalistic. Maybe you see it as dry and, and not really understanding what it's really about. Maybe you come from a church background like this church, a non-denom or uh, an evangelical church, or there's a lot of different labels we could put on it, but where communion is done maybe a little less often and maybe a little more casually, right? And it's very devotional, leans heavily on this idea of remembrance and thankfulness. Maybe you have no church background at all. 
Maybe this is the first and only church you've ever gone to. Maybe this is your first day or week in church. It's going to impact how you see communion as well. Maybe you think it's weird. Maybe you think it's weird that we say things like eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus. I get it if you think that's weird because it sounds a little weird. I promise it's not. Maybe it feels like a ritual to you. I hope we can maybe dispel some of that today. Maybe you're just happy for a mid-service snack. I don't know. Like Maybe you're like, oh, I was getting a little thirsty. I want to introduce you to the cafe, okay? There's a cafe in the hallway. You can get coffee. You can get cookies, all right? It's okay to bring a snack into church. No matter where you are coming out of, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I'm really glad because what I want to do, my aim for us this morning is to bolster up and reinvigorate our practice of communion. As we celebrate communion together, I want to stir up our affections for Jesus and add some understanding to it as well. I think if I was going to poll the believers in the room, right, the followers of Jesus, and I asked you, what is communion all about? I would probably receive one overwhelming answer. And the answer would be, it is about remembrance and thankfulness for the cross. And I think that would be the overwhelming answer because it's a pretty good answer. Like, that's a really good answer. It's scriptural, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It is a huge aspect of what communion is about. But I think there is so much more to it than that. It is certainly not less than that. It is certainly not less than thankfulness and remembrance. It is certainly not less than a devotional moment with the Lord, but it is more. There is so much more that God has for you and me in communion. And what has happened in recent American church history, what I'm going to call the last 30 to 40 years, has been this movement away from tradition and away from legalism and away from ritualism. And a lot of that has been good. There was a lot of prevailing legalism and ritualism present in the American church. And a lot of that it was like culling. It was very good for the church. But like many movements, in some ways it swung a little too far in some circles. And I think there were certain things that had a lot of importance and are teetering on the edge of losing their meaning and their significance for the people of God. And I think communion, when over-casualized and over-modernized, is teetering on the edge of losing its significance and losing its importance for God's people. It's huge that we understand this. This is not a call to ritualism today. I am not calling us to legalism. By no means am I calling us to ritualism. What I am saying is that we ought to be serious. We ought to be serious about the things that God calls us to do in the New Testament. See, there are certain things in the New Testament that are direct commands and calls to the church. Things like being baptized, things like celebrating communion, things like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are things we are commanded to do, and we ought to take these things seriously and be serious about what they mean and what God has for us in them. So like I said, this is not a call to ritualism. This is not a call to legalism. This is a call to being serious about what God has for you and me in communion. And when we're not serious, we are at risk of ending up in two really bad places. And the first is missing out on what God has for us. And I think God has a lot for us today in communion. 
there's been this idea that's kind of been on my mind for the last, I'd say, six months or so. And maybe one day I'll have an opportunity to share a little bit more in depth about it. But it is this idea that God has built rhythms into the life of his people. And if you look back at the Old Testament, you see things like law codes, sacrificial systems, holy days, right? The Sabbath, all these different things. And in our modern minds, it's easy to look at them and say, that's legalism or that's oppressive or that's ritualism. When the truth of the matter is God built those things into the life of ancient Israel as a rhythm of devotion to himself. So that day in, day out, week in, month out, they were devoted to him and centered around him. My musicians in the room might know this term, the pocket, right? If you've ever played in a band, you might have heard this term, uh, being in the pocket, What that means is when a band is kind of grooving and they're so in sync and they're so in beat with one another and they have that almost unspoken communication happening, that's called playing in the pocket, all right? And God is almost calling you and me to live our lives in the pocket, centered around this rhythm that brings us to devotion to himself. You fast forward to the New Testament, you see things like Sabbath, church services, you see things like baptism, communion, rhythms that are designed to center us around God. The church fathers, I think, picked up this idea. I think they put together a church calendar and a collection of liturgies and all these things, not to oppress, not to enforce ritualism, but to build a rhythm into the life of God's people. And so communion is a crucial part of these rhythms, and we miss out on that rhythm when we're not serious. The second place we fall into is a new kind of ritualism. Think about this with me. If we strip all meaning and significance away from a thing, right? We just start doing it to do it. We show up. We don't even know why we do it. We're just doing it because it's that Sunday of the month. It's ritualism. It's just a meaningless ritual that we do. So my call today is to leave those things maybe at the door and seek truth and seek the significance of communion. Because let me be clear. Um, I think Living Word Church does an awesome job with this. Like I don't think that we are falling into ritualism. I don't think that we're losing the significance, not by any means. I actually think we do an excellent job. And this isn't to pat myself on the back by any means. Really, this is Pastor Pavone and the way that he founded and led the church for so long and then Doug the way that he carried that mantle. Right? I think we've done an excellent job with things like communion and these rhythms. But lurking around the corner for every believer is complacency. It is, is the easy um, temptation to just grow complacent and grow satisfied and not be looking for what God has in a certain practice like communion. And so I want to reinforce, I want to reinvigorate our understanding. I'm not looking to press the rewind button. I'm not looking to enforce any legalism or ritualism. I want to stir up our affections for Jesus this morning. And so I'm going to give you my central claim right off the bat, and we're going to build off of it, and it's this. Communion is about union with Christ. Communion is about union with Christ. It's the primary idea behind communion. It is the driving force behind communion. Everything else falls under the umbrella of union with Christ. So remembrance, thankfulness, devotion, these are all wonderful parts of communion. They fall under the umbrella of union. 
It is all about union with Christ this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't want you thinking, oh, I came to the wrong church service. This is for the Christians this morning. Let that thought leave your mind. Don't tune this out this morning. Because, yeah, you might walk away with some understanding and and more knowledge about what communion is, and and that's great. Knowledge is good. But, but, But there's life change available for you here today. There is the knowledge and the understanding and the experience that there is a God who wants union with you, a God who wants to know you and be known by you, and it's radically different than anything else you'll find today. So don't tune this out because that kind of life-changing thing is available to you this morning. And so don't miss that. We're going to be looking at a couple different passages this morning, and They might not be the ones that typically come to mind when you think about communion. We think of the gospel tellings of the Last Supper. We think about Paul's retelling of the Last Supper. But we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 10. And the important context here is that Paul is talking about idolatry. And you might say, wait, I didn't think we were talking about idolatry today. We're not. But as Paul addresses idolatry in the Corinthian church, he's going to use communion imagery to communicate some really powerful ideas. And so this is what it says starting in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. Later in verse 21, he says, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So Paul, pretty clearly here, is talking about who will you have union with? Will you have union with God? Will you be unified with God? Or will you tether yourself to idols? And will you be unified with idols? Because they're exclusive. You can't do both. You don't get to have both. And often when we talk about idolatry, we say things like, oh, idolatry is when you worship something that isn't God. Or when you place your hope in something that isn't God. Or when you place your affections in something that isn't God. And really, those are byproducts of the union. Paul is getting at the deeper issue. The deeper issue is who have you tethered yourself to? Who are you unified with? Because if you're unified with Christ, then your worship and your affections and your hope, they will be rightly directed at Christ. But when they're directed at idols, man, then they go astray. And the way he communicates this union is what is so powerful and important for us today. This is what he says. The cup of blessing that we bless Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I mean, this is huge. Like this is, if you let yourself think about this for a second, it's kind of mind-blowing. Participation in the body, participation in the blood, like at the cross, you're not just a spectator. This is what Paul's saying, you're a participant. That you were crucified on that cross with Christ when he died as a representative for all of humanity as he died to reconcile all of creation. That means you and I were crucified with him. This is what Galatians 2.20 says about it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through the Son of God who gave himself for me. 
Paul's saying, I have union with Christ, right? Christ lives in me. I have union with him. And it is a result of my being crucified with him. I am a participant in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Guys, this is the gospel. And it's time to stop thinking about the gospel in terms of binary, I sinned and I'm forgiven. The gospel is not just about what you've done. It is about who you are. The gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't just about the forgiveness of sins, although certainly it is the forgiveness of sins. It is about taking you and me from children of wrath to children of God, enemies of God to friends of God, uh, unrighteous sinners, adulterers to righteous and beloved in his sight. It is an identity change. It is why Paul says those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. You have been crucified with Christ. If you've, if you've placed your trust in Jesus this morning. And so when we talk about communion, communion then becomes this outward representation of our being crucified with Christ. It is an outward symbol of an inward reality, right? The bread and the wine, they're just outward symbols, of what has already gone on in our hearts and on the cross. Our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Check out this quote with me. It actually comes from an anonymous author, but this is what they say. Through the humble signs of bread and wine, our Lord represents to us and assures us of the invisible food of the gospel, namely Christ and our union with him. Through the visible signs of bread and wine, the Holy Spirit assures us of our invisible union with Christ. God wants us to receive and enjoy him and all of his gospel promises. He desires for us to be assuredly reminded that Christ's body and blood are totally sufficient food to nourish our souls to everlasting life. I love this imagery of gospel food. And I know it sounds a little funny to say that, like gospel food, but just like bread and wine are nourishing to the body or grape juice for us, right? Because we're grape juice people. But just like that is nourishing to the body, Christ's Body and blood, his sacrifice on the cross is nourishing to the soul. It provides for your greatest spiritual need, and that is the need for union with him. That as you were crucified on the cross with Christ, that I've been crucified with Christ, he has provided union for me, that I could be tethered to him. When we take communion we often will say things, or you might hear theologians say things like, these are the signs and seals of the covenant. That these symbols represent to us the covenant that we have in God through Christ's blood. The covenant of forgiveness and closeness, of being known by him and knowing him. That is what we celebrate in communion. Check out this next quote with me. It's a little long. It comes from Calvin's Institutes, and it's beautiful though, so just Follow along with me. Godly souls can gather great assurance and delight from communion. In it, they have a witness to our growth into one body with Christ, such that whatever is his may be called ours. As a consequence, we may dare assure ourselves that eternal life of which he is the heir is ours and the kingdom of heaven into which he has already entered can no more be cut off from us than from him. Again, we cannot be condemned for our sins from whose guilt he has absolved us since he willed it to take them upon himself as if they were his own. This is where this quote just takes on so much beauty. This is the wonderful exchange out of his measureless benevolence he has made with us. That by becoming son of man with us, he has made us sons of God with him. 
that by his descent to earth, he has prepared an ascent to heaven for us. That by taking on our mortality, he has conferred his immortality upon us. That receiving our poverty unto himself, he has transferred his wealth to us. That by taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, which oppressed us, he has clothed us with his righteousness. This is the beautiful exchange that provides unity with Christ to us. And don't miss this. This is an exchange that starts before the cross. It reaches its fulfillment in the cross and its fulfillment in the resurrection, but it begins in the manger, right? It begins when Christ steps out of his heavenly realm and takes on flesh and unifies himself with humanity and says, I'm going to become one of them and I'm going to walk with them and I'm going to take on the human experience. I will unify myself with them. In taking on flesh, Jesus became like us so that we might become like him. He became son of man so that you and I could be called sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful exchange that is. Before he ever hung on that cross, he was providing union with him for you and for me. And so again, as we talk about communion, it is an opportunity to dwell on and participate in that exchange to remember the covenant that we have in Jesus, to remember that you and I are participants in the death and resurrection of Jesus. As we continue, we're going to look at a passage that comes from the book of Matthew. It's Matthew 20, verses uh, 20 through 23. Again, not something you might initially consider to be about communion, but it's powerful. This is what Matthew writes. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, him being Jesus, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who have been prepared from my father. Now, this is James and John. We learn that from other gospel accounts. And I don't mean to dog on them, but I'm gonna. Because, like, bro, you're like, you bring your mom to ask Jesus? Like, you wanna sit at the right hand, but you can't even ask him yourself? Your mom needs to ask? And, like, the other gospel writers, they give them a pass, but Matthew really wanted to throw them under the bus, apparently, because he, like, wanted everybody to know. And also, again, I'm gonna stop, but, like, You you ever heard of a guy named David? Maybe he wants to sit at the right hand of the throne. Or Abraham, Moses, I don't know. There are other guys. I don't know. Just saying. I'll stop. It's not the request that's even that important here for us and for what we're talking about this morning. But it's Jesus' response. He says, are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? I mean, this is huge. This is... The cup that he's talking about is the cup of suffering. It is the cup of suffering that he talks about over and over again. He uses it here. He uses the same imagery at the Last Supper. The new covenant is what? He uses that same imagery in his prayer in Gethsemane, right? Lord, pass this cup from me. It is the cup of suffering. So he's saying, are you able to partake in the suffering that I'm about to endure? Can you partake in that suffering? And because the disciples never know what Jesus is talking about, right? They just never get his points. They're like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. That's fine. Shouldn't be a problem at all. 
And I got to imagine Jesus had like a little smirk on his face. That's, not, that's conjecture. That's not scripture. But, but like he had to have a little smirk. And instead of scolding them, instead of telling them, hey, you don't know what you're saying, he says something really simple. You will drink my cup. You will. You will suffer like I have suffered. The world will hate you because they hated me first. And see, you and I, we are provided with deep union with Christ and it is a union of suffering. Now, we've talked about a few different unions, right? We talked about the union that we have in Christ through the incarnation, that he became one with us so that we might become one with him. We talked about the union that we have through the cross, that as we are crucified with Christ, we enjoy union with Christ. But this is the last union that we're going to talk about, and it is a union of suffering, and it is not just his suffering. It's our own. And I know that can be a little bit of a bitter pill for some of us to swallow, and partially because it goes against the narrative that's a little popular in our culture today that says, all God wants for you is to be blessed and wealthy and healthy and no hardships, no trials, when the truth of the matter is to be human is to suffer sometimes. And to suffer for the gospel if you are a believer. And this is all over scripture. Our unification with Christ in suffering is everywhere. It is everywhere. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Romans 6.5, For if we have been unified with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like his. And in Philippians 3, Paul is talking about the surpassing wealth of knowing Jesus in comparison to everything else in life. And he says, that I, may be, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. I'm not saying that we only achieve union and only experience union through suffering, but we have an opportunity for deep union and deep closeness and deep presence with the Lord when we suffer. Suffer for the gospel, and I'm going to say, even suffer in general. It shouldn't be surprising to us that these elements that we hold in our hands during communion are symbols of suffering. The broken body and the blood poured out. Communion is a reflection of and a calling to our participation in Christ's suffering. And like I said, I want to take this one step further because I don't think this is just about persecution. I think it's about the everyday sufferings of being human. Like I said earlier, to be human sometimes is to suffer. Like, I don't think I have to really convince you of that point here today because I know there's someone and some people in the room this morning that are suffering in a way that I don't even really understand and will probably never understand, but I've lived enough life to feel in my bones some days that life is really hard, that to be human is to suffer sometimes. And Christ, in his amazing grace and mercy, as he united himself to humanity, began his suffering not on the cross, but in the manger. 
When he took on flesh, when he took on the human experience, he took on the suffering that comes with everyday life of humanity. And someone in the room just needs to hear today, Christ not only sees you in your suffering, he's with you in your suffering. He's the God who suffers with his people because he's endured it. That's who he is. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that is what separates Jesus from everything else you will find in this world. There is not a God who suffers with his people. You will not find it. You can look and look and look. There is no God who promises to tether himself to you and suffer alongside of you and promise union and closeness to you in suffering. It doesn't exist. And so you and I have an opportunity to draw near in the moments of suffering and experience deep union and presence with Jesus. Called the man of sorrows. Before he ever hung on a cross, he, he knew suffering. He knew it intimately well. So you and I can identify with Christ in his suffering. And see, some of us are just trying to live lives that avoid suffering. Maybe we wouldn't categorize it that way, but that's what it is. Man, if I could just get that paycheck, if I could just get to that number in the bank, get that debt paid off, if I could just be in that relationship, then I wouldn't be lonely anymore. If I could just get out of this relationship, then life would be good. Like It's just always constantly about avoiding suffering. Man, if this health issue would just go away. And what happens is when we live lives characterized by avoiding suffering, we begin to convince ourselves that God doesn't work in the suffering. He doesn't have anything in the suffering for us. He's not present in the suffering. When in fact, the opposite is true this morning. He is present in your suffering. And it is an opportunity for you to have union and closeness with him. And so we are reminded this morning that communion is about union with Christ. Like as we celebrate communion, as we partake in this idea of, of the death of Jesus, as we kind of eat the gospel food, as we participate symbolically in the death and resurrection of Jesus once again, as we participate in the union of Christ, we are, or, or the death of Christ, we are reminded of the union that we have through the incarnation, through Jesus' death and resurrection, and through the suffering that he endured and we endure. And so we are going to celebrate communion this morning. We're going to do that together before we do. Um, I have a couple of thoughts for you to kind of carry out of here into your week. Because we can pursue uh, union with Christ in communion. That's important. But you and I ought to be pursuing union with Christ every day. And that is our first kind of thought or application to take out of here. Pursue union with Christ every single day. Let everything you do be towards the aim of union. Whether that's your quiet time, your Bible study, your prayer, fasting. Let it be aimed towards union with Christ. Be putting to death the old self. Those things that trip you up. Those sins that rear their heads. Put those things to death. Repent in the pursuit of closeness and union with Christ. And the second thing to be thinking about is be changed by union with Christ. These two things go hand in hand. As you experience union, be changed by that union. That's called sanctification. It is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that takes us away from the old self and conforms us into the image of Christ. Be changed. As you grow deeper in love and deeper in closeness with Christ, those things that once tripped you up will grow further and further into the rear view. There's a line from an old hymn that I just absolutely love. It is, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the lyric goes, the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of your glory and grace. Man, how true that is. As you grow into deeper fellowship with the Lord, those things that once tripped you up will grow, fade and fade into the background. They will. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I know this may have been heady at times. This may have been Christianese at times. I thank you for sticking it out. And I just want to give you a summary of what was important here for you this morning. And it is that Jesus Christ wants union with you. And it is a union he has provided for you through his death and resurrection. That on the cross he died for the forgiveness of our sins and for the overhaul of our identity. That we would be taken from death to life, sinners to righteous. And in his resurrection, he proclaims victory over sin and death, inviting us into the family of God and providing eternal life for you and for me. And if you want to place your trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a few minutes. Maybe you walked in here today and you were thinking, man, I can't keep living this way. Like, I can't be this person anymore. And that's exactly the offer that's on the table for you. It's new life, new creation in him. I want to give you a roadmap of what's about to happen as we close. Like I said, we're going to celebrate communion today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. I've asked them to prepare a special song for us. So I'm going to encourage you to stay seated as they play. Our greeters are going to begin to come forward. They're going to start passing out the bread and the wine. Just so you know, there's a small bowl full of gluten-free. If you're gluten-free, you can take from that smaller bowl in the bread basket. And uh, you can take those, hold on to them, because I'm going to come back out and lead us in communion when the time comes. But I want to encourage you, man, be reflecting over what we talked about today. Throughout this song, the words will be up on the screen. Reflect over them. Dwell on those words. Dwell on what we talked about today. But let me invite you to pray with me right now. Lord God, I thank you for our time together talking about the union we have in you. A union first provided through the incarnation that as you took on flesh, Jesus, you became like us so that we might become like you. Union. And then through the cross, as we are participants in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we experience union with you because of it, that you have provided for our greatest spiritual need. And finally, union through suffering. Yes, through persecution, but also through the mundane, everyday sufferings of life. You promise closeness and presence to us in those moments. I pray, Lord God, for the person who is suffering not by anything that they did, not by even anything to deserve it. They're just suffering because that's what life is like sometimes. I pray, Lord God, that you would show them the union and the presence that you have for them in this season, that you will carry them because you are the God who suffers. If you're not a follower of Jesus, when you want to place your trust in Jesus this morning, you can just pray along with me. It doesn't even have to be word for word, but just pray what you got. God, uh, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again. I believe that you've provided forgiveness, union, eternal life. I want to know you and be known by you. I want that new life that's on the table. Would you come into my life? Would you change my heart? And if you prayed that, God sees your heart this morning. He does. 
And I just encourage you, come up for prayer after service or come find me after. Come find someone with a Living Word shirt on or one of our staff members just because we would love to pray with you. We would love to talk to you about maybe what comes next for you. God, thank you. I pray that you bless this time we're about to go into. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would move in power in, this, in these next moments. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.